Hello and welcome to Media MD, your fortnightly Doof Network dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back this fortnight, Elliot, to talk about a film called Silence of the Lambs. We are indeed. So, what's uh, your verdict? How many lambs out of five do you give it? No, we do an out of ten scale here. Sorry, how many lambs out of ten? You're right. You're right. Um, you're right. Uh, that, we save that for the end because, of course, we always begin with... The plot summary. Um, and I mean, I'm probably the only one who would need this, but um, <laughs> the the movie takes or oh, focuses on the career of FBI student. Uh, well, her name is Clarice Starling, but I want to call her Dana Scully because there's absolutely no way that Dana Scully from the X-Files was not heavily inspired by um jodie foster's clary starling here interesting like, as someone who hasn't seen that much x-files you might have to let me know what you think the connections are they have similar accents they've both got <laughs> okay. the same haircut true um, i remember that yeah like they both have like it, well i was gonna say they both have like you know shoulder pad blazers going but it was the 90s so maybe that's yeah, not fair to not necessarily family. link the two of them because that's just like what everyone was doing back then i think mm. um but, like, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of similarities between those two characters. Um, Fair enough. Anyway, Clarice is still a student uh, at FBI school, but uh, <laughs> she she sort of caught the attention of the head of the Behavioral Sciences Unit, who, of course, we'll all remember from... Uh, from Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Yeah. Yep. As I was watching it uh, a few days ago, I, uh, it was my girlfriend who was like, is that meant to be Bill Tench? And I was like... <laughs> I don't know, but it's pretty similar. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, yeah, either that or a very old Holden. Um, anyway, uh, so this guy Crawford, um, basically, it's it's like a little unclear, but essentially, um, they're trying to track down this serial killer who's been called Buffalo Bill, who's um like kidnapping and skinning women, mm-hmm. uh, and they think that another serial killer they've captured called Hannibal, uh, who's a cannibal, which is like. That's classic. That, that was like <laughs> what a what it a batch of the nominative rest of the determinism. It, it's like it, it doesn't suit the tone of the movie at all, though. Like this is such a serious movie, and then just every time somebody was like Hannibal the Cannibal, I just started cracking up. Like it is, it does seem very silly, doesn't it? Yeah, like that's the sort of thing I'd expect to see in like a Spider-Man movie, <laughs> not yeah, like of the Spy Lions. Kids or something. Yeah, exactly. Um. But, yeah, I mean, it's probably just a, a thing from the books. Anyway, so yeah. they've, they've caught this other serial killer, Hannibal, and they can't get him to talk, but they think he'll probably know something about Buffalo Bill or um, just in general be able to help them with profiling. Yes, he's uh, quite a competent psychologist. He's known for being the, like, the smart psychologist uh, killer, I guess. Yeah, and, and, like, that's such a, like, I can see why this character would, would like, capture imagination so much because... It's such a double-edged sword for them, him being, like, a trained psychiatrist mm-hmm. because he, like, is aware enough to be resistant to any sorts of techniques mm. uh, just because he knows them all. Um, but that also allows him to be really helpful. Like, yeah, anyway. And, and I, like, I'm saying that just because I do know there's a sort of TV show that ran for a few seasons, which I think is, like, a prequel to this movie where it's, like, mm-hmm. Hannibal helping um the the fbi catch other serial killers mm. uh in a bit of a dexter situation i guess anyway so they send clarice to talk to hannibal um just 
as a bit of a shot in the dark. There's there's a lot of implications that they're just trying it because she's young and attractive and yeah, maybe, maybe that'll work. I kind of got the vibe that I, I don't know if this this isn't explicitly confirmed, but that she's his mo, like not his type per se, but his type that he would murder. Um, that's interesting. I got the impression he tends to murder quite indiscriminately. I, well, I don't know yes, if he ha- true. Um. Yeah, like he, I'd be very interested to see a movie more about him because yeah, I don't like I don't have an idea from this m- movie itself if he had mm. an mo or a distinct profile him himself. Mm. Um, he just seems to like to eat people. Yeah, in um, fact, the few confirmed murders that he makes are all men. I think. I'm trying to think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of any women he kills in the movie. Mm. Um. Anyway. Uh, he, so anyway, she, she goes and, um, I mean, the, the more charitable angle you could take, um, is that Crawford is like trying to see how she can handle herself. Cause this is a pretty intimidating situation. Uh, she actually does pretty well. Uh, Hannibal kind of takes a liking to her, um, in a way that like does actually seem like he wants to take her on as an apprentice. Maybe I've been watching too much Clone Wars, but, um, <laughs> she becomes like, his Padawan. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying that that is actually one of the more professional relationships she has in the movie. Mm. Um, mm. Like, especially like you can see the way Hannibal sees it, I think is, is much more as like, he, he seems to genuinely sort of respect her skills uh, yeah. a lot more than a lot of the other people she runs into. And kind of takes a, an interest in, uh, like, psychoanalyzing her, I think, as yes. well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, so the so those, like, she gets a clue from him. It becomes pretty clear he probably knows exactly who this Buffalo Bill killer is. Um, and he gives her some clues. So they go chasing those. Uh, in the meantime, there's, like, lots of stuff happening where Clarice is just getting involved in this buffalo bill case um mm. under under sort of crawford's wing i'm gonna kind of skip over a lot of the middle um but we'll probably come back to it all a bit later um, yep. but essentially they a lot of stuff happens <laughs> um buffalo bill ends up kidnapping the daughter of a u.s senator so the things get like kicked into overdrive in terms of like how important this investigation is mm-hmm. um and then Hannibal gets moved to well, someplace in the US. To some there. creepy big building um, in a cage. Yeah, they, they stick him in a big cage in the middle of the room. It's like, why did they um, have that? Why was that already that's, there? That's the cage building where they keep people in cages, <laughs> right? Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, anyway, like some shit goes on. He manages to escape because of a pen that he's kept like in his stomach, I guess, um, that he nicked from like his psychiatrist who I think is actually the real villain of the movie. That guy is oh, yeah. a piece of shit. Chilton, genuinely a piece of shit. <laughs> like, you can't... You know, you know yeah. like, he's the one who got me rooting for Hannibal to eat him, which I is mean, just like, yeah. that's, that's you know he's a dickhead. Like, it's so fascinating because, uh, well, we're, we're, we'll get back to the plot later, but it's so fascinating to me because you you start out seeing Hannibal as this kind of, like, gentlemanly serial killer, and, and he's charismatic enough that you kind of let your guard down a bit. And then he reveals just how horrifying of a monster he is. But then, and mm. so you're kind of not on Team Hannibal anymore. But then by the end of the film, I guess he's just been off screen enough and Chilton is such a dick that you're kind of like, yeah, you know what, Hannibal, you'd go eat Dr. Chilton and that's cool with me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's kind of like, I, 
my opinion yeah you're right like the opinion of hannibal is sort of someone who was actually quite cultured as he likes to i think think of himself uh, and then that sort of gets dismissed as you see him in action yeah but chilton's just still such a dick that <laughs> know, you're like, exactly yeah, you're like I'm, yeah I'm still, I'm still you know okay. what i don't care what happens <laughs> to you chilton you're an asshole um anyway uh so yeah so hannibal escapes but he does give clarice some some of the last clues that she needs uh he also kind of gives them to someone else and so they all head down like all the fbi heads to this house where they think they've found the killer and clarice is just chasing up some like extra leads for paperwork yeah um turns out the killer has like moved house and she's at the real killer's house and she figures it out there's a scene that i absolutely hated where she is like one v one-ing him the night vision of his house scene yeah yeah yeah, like it's it was just so tense. Like, it, it was like, oh, I remember why I don't watch horror movies. Yep. Um, uh, but, it, like, it was very well done. Anyway, she ends up uh, killing him pretty convincingly. Um, the rest of the FBI shows up and she, you know, gets, like, a well-done badge. Um, mm-hmm. They have a party because I guess she graduates. Um, presumably, she's going to get the job in the behavioral sciences division that she was after. Um, yep. Since she, like, single-handedly captured, <laughs> um, like, one of the biggest serial killers. Um, yep. And then she also gets a little call from Hannibal who has, you know run away to somewhere tropical yeah um and where he's found chilton and the movie just ends with him like following him yeah through like through a kind of street yeah yeah, a street and i was just like ah like yeah it's such a good ending yeah Um, yeah so that's the plot (laughs) there we go briefly so that's the end of the episode um no (laughs) i want to talk about i think thinking about the ending and specifically the last i think the last line in the movie is Hannibal says to Clarice, anyway, I have to go. I'm having an old friend for dinner, which is yep, such a, yep. like, classic, like, joke. <laughs> but <laughs> And so it's so weird. And that's kind of the thing I want to touch on here is how this movie rides the line between things like his name being Hannibal the Cannibal, but also <laughs> he's, like, a horrifying monster. <laughs> like, it manages the tones of this quite campy, character in hannibal but also the fact that this is a fucking terrifying intense horror or thriller i guess um it and it manages that so well it's bizarre how it's like just a very very well made movie i guess i i, I think it, it works because like it's only hannibal like like hannibal's the only mm. one ever doing the silly things mm. and it's kind of like it, it just simultaneously like you know makes him fun but also makes him more terrifying because like all this horrible stuff's happening and he's still just acting as if it's the same as when he was sitting in his cell yeah he's just kind of chilling out listening to you know classical music or whatever as he as you god that's one of the images i love is as he's escaping he murders two uh corrections officers or police officers um and then before he escapes, he kind of just goes back to listening to this classical music as he's got yeah. blood around his mouth. It's the most, like, crazy image because he's been so dignified up until this point. And the mask slips as he literally bites someone's nose off. And then it kind of he kind of puts it back on and, and finishes listening to the song before he escapes. Yeah, and seeing him do it, like, with the blood on his face just sort of helps reinforce to you that like it's all bullshit basically yeah exactly yeah um yeah and um like he also like doesn't rush out like he you know they come in later and he's taken one of the men's bodies and like strung it up to look like an angel or something from Mm. memory Mm. um so like he's very methodical I, i think my favorite sort of 
you know, the, the they spend the first like half of the movie sort of setting up how bad he is, not actually sort of showing it. Mm. And my favorite example is uh, when they sort of talk about how he he'd like bitten into the face of like a nurse or something um because he'd faked like having a heart attack and so they had a heart rate monitor on him during the whole attack and it's like his heart rate never went above 85 as he was eating this lady and for whatever reason that was like the bit that just really sold how crazy he was to Mm. me Mm. yeah no i feel that um like the the whole like he he gets this other prisoner migs to to kill himself um, yes he talks him into killing himself yeah yeah and, and that was very much one of the like that's that's a bit of a, a trope it's like you know oh the, the machiavellian villain is so good that they can you know just talk someone else into doing the crazy things to, having um, said that Miggs is probably not the most stable character mentally yeah <laughs> if you had to pick a target yeah um to try and manipulate it's it's hardly setting the bar high yeah i thought i love this movie so much elliot I, it was so fun <laughs> watching it again and just finding the sheer joy that in this movie like okay we've been talking about hannibal for a long time because he i mean you can't not because he so dominates the screen whenever he's on it but he's in a huge part of the movie and i i i really genuinely do think the rest of the movie is equally as good as the bits with hannibal in them (laughs) yeah yeah i agree like there's just something about anthony hopkins's performance that like it's very captivating, isn't it? Yeah, that, that captures captures kind of the whole movie. Despite, like, I think the thing you quoted last week, oh, two weeks ago, was um, he's only in about sixteen minutes of the movie. Yes, uh, which was funny because like I finished the movie and I was like, well, there's just no way that's true. Mm. And like, I know the internet agrees with you, but I st- like, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, but it is like, <laughs> and when you think about it, most of the movie is, I would say, about you know, there's the Hannibal bits. There's about maybe a third of it that's um, just Clarissa's kind of more mundane interactions, uh, not sure. not high stakes interactions, and then a- about a third of it maybe is Buffalo Bill explicitly stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So even though the plot of the movie is, you know, if you summed it up in a sentence, is an FBI student seeks the help of a serial killer to catch another serial killer, right? That's mm. actually not that much of the movie like it's maybe half the movie i don't know yeah like that's the thing i i struggled to like after i finished it say this is a movie about x like even saying it's about clarice even saying it's about like gender or sexism Mm. like like there were so many things that are in it but there wasn't really one thing i could say that it was about yeah it's interesting i i don't know if i would call this a movie that has an explicit message it's just a yeah a very compelling story and that's fine right like and it has yeah. strong themes so obviously um we can touch on the f- the fact that one of the strongest themes at least visually i think it comes across a lot is um like jodie foster and how uh isolated she is as a woman in yeah. the fbi uh, she has one female friend who who comes up a few times but basically there's like three or four women that you ever see on screen in this movie <laughs> yeah and and that friend of hers is not involved in any of this actual case stuff no so like as you said there's like a number of times where like she hops in an elevator and it's all guys and they they do like a really clever trick where all the guys are like a foot taller than her yeah so it really you really feel how like 
like vulnerable and isolated she is yeah um, they do the same thing again there's like a bit in a police station where she has to like wrangle up a bunch of cops and get them to leave the room yeah and it's it's that same thing they're all like at least a foot taller than her and it just yes. sort of makes her feel smaller or there's this scene where it's within that same uh it's in a morgue i think or at a funeral home anyway she's surrounded by all these other local police officers and we just get a shot from her perspective that's like a rotation like as she turns looking at everyone in the room and they're all just looking down on her like physically looking yeah. downwards towards her it's insane i think this movie more than any other movie like perfectly demonstrates the kind of casual sexism that isn't it's not overt nobody ever says anything sexist to her except except for chilton uh true yes and crawford has one moment where he kind of half throws her under the bus to try and manipulate the chief um the police yeah, chief, but like whatever. she actually she calls him out on it and he apologizes yeah, exactly. which is like cool um but yeah but the amount of times where you see her like walking along or just like walking along the street or anything and someone just looks at her and you just get this look and it's always a bit of like a oh huh you're a fbi agent oh okay kind of look and nobody says anything yep. but you see this look that she that she gets so often and i just kind of felt it in my heart the frustration of how out of place she seems to everyone else for no reason like there's absolutely nothing yeah. there yeah yeah absolutely like i think it's something that you can't really not know Ugh, that was a terrible sense you can't <laughs> not notice it yeah in in the film like absolutely um and, and, like i mean even even like hannibal it's weird to say even hannibal but like you know like hannibal uses it to like he he tries to make her uncomfortable with sexuality a number of times mm. uh he sort of drops that early on after he starts to seem to like turn around and start respecting her yes he starts um, feeling that it's a bit too crude for their interactions i suspect yeah but like you kind of see again how bullshit all of that is when he talks to the senator mm. um and like he just kind of goes off on oh, her trying to like God. be crude yeah he he so the senator's daughter has been kidnapped and what hannibal says to her is they say people after amputations can still feel their limbs do you think when your daughter dies you're still gonna feel her suckling on your teat basically yeah which is an insane thing Wait. to say god and it really again just demonstrates how horrifying of a person he is beneath that <laughs> veneer right yeah yeah exactly um like he's just this monster who kind of pretends that he's pretentious um and then yeah like it's it's so fun when it comes out mm. like like in like an awful way yeah um, definitely yeah <sighs> um yeah and then i mean there's like the the stuff with buffalo bill mm. um i don't want to get into that like specifically too much because i don't think it's aged very well mm. um some of the gender stuff there but um it's like structurally I think part of why this movie works so well for me is, and, 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 you know, this comes back to me not being able to say, oh, this is about this, this is about this. Like, you know, it is like Hannibal is a villain slash asset. Buffalo Bill is a kind of villain. But, like, we, we almost kind of alternate between focusing on Hannibal and Buffalo Bill. Yeah. And I think that's part of why this movie just kind of clicks so well. Is it's actually, like, a great structure where they're kind of alternating between two interconnected plot lines like i don't want to use the term a plot and b plot um but like you know they're they're kind of having two big 
villains almost um like really works in this movie having this not quite a bot a plot b plot structure um mm. it is just like a really cool way to add a lot more to the movie but they will work together really seamlessly so it feels very cohesive still yeah definitely i i actually think ted levine as buffalo bill is one of the unsung heroes of this film because he does so well um like the character is so terrifying i guess yeah oh yeah like he's very scary um and and so is his whole abode his whole Um, dungeon yeah but these the iconic shots of you know the um uh the goodbye horses song when he's dancing or the the classics like it puts the lotion in the basket type stuff like yeah which like side note that's one of those funny things where i assumed that would be a much bigger part of the movie just because it's so often like referenced in pop in pop culture (laughs) so that's like that's like one of those things where it's one tiny little scene that like seemed like it was going to be much more to me um but it was just something everyone clearly latched onto um as an isolated thing i think just so many parts of this movie are so captivating that you can't help but like turn them into memes you know i guess (laughs) yeah yeah probably like I can see why there are Hannibal TV shows. I think there's sequel movies. They're prequels, um, actually. Oh, okay. I think um, <laughs> <laughs> they made like three yeah. prequels. So I think the Silence of the Lambs book is actually the second or third book in the series, but it was adapted uh, okay. without the other ones. Um, and then they, I guess, went back and did the earlier ones. I'm not really sure, but I mean that makes sense. Um, like I mean, this seemed like a fine jumping-off point. Um, I didn't feel lost or like I was meant to already know the characters. So they did a good job adapting that. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I can just, I can see why this is a character who Hollywood was like, we need to do this one again. Yeah. We need more uh, Anthony Hopkins. Give him, give him twice as much screen time and crank out another <laughs> one. Yeah. Although it's interesting. Like I, like, cause I saw one of the other movies is just called Hannibal. Yes. Um, and it's like if it's just about Hannibal and or Clarice slash Crawford, like I'm honestly le- less interested in that. Like I think the angle of having him not quite be the villain villain in this movie was part of the brilliance. And like I'd be more interested in, um, you know, and my sister's been on me for years to start watching the Hannibal TV show. Mm-hmm um where he's kind of like yeah like an undercover serial killer like I, like i think it's it's more interesting to see him not be the villain serial killer but be a kind of well not a hero or anti-hero side serial killer but like a serial killer who's not the focus of everyone's attention yes i agree with you i think that's why he works i think he he's a bit too machiavellian to work as a as a like lead villain because he falls into yeah. that same thing where it kind of feels like it to, in order to portray him the same way that he's portrayed in this film, he basically needs to be thinking 40 steps ahead. And that's just kind of unsatisfying, I feel like. Yeah, it's a very hard thing to pull off in a story in a satisfying way. Yeah. Like, even like, I love War Abiding Citizen, but even it sort of barely manages to pull off that kind of, you know, genius mastermind 20 steps ahead constantly type thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, which definitely is kind of how he's portrayed. I mean, the escape that he makes from the from custody is pretty incredible. <laughs> it's great, and and it's so well te- like telegraphed early on. Like one of the rules that they establish is that you can't let him get a pen, and then we see 
uh, the the psychiatrist guy like Chilton. dropped the pen on the bed. Yeah, and. Uh, and then, like Hannibal just sort of <laughs> notices it, and you're like, "Oh!" Fuck. And then we get the bit where Chilton explicitly is like, "Hmm, where's my where's pen?" My pen? <laughs> yeah, I laughed out yeah. loud. I forgot how overt that is. Just to be like, <laughs> guys, so uh, just in case you missed it the first time, Chilton doesn't have his pen. Hmm? Yeah, they try very hard to make sure you're not going to be like, "Where did he get this bit of a pen that he yeah. sort of vomits up later on?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, it's like, yeah, it, it, and it's great. Like, and it made it feel quite deserved and again of course like i'm glad it was chilton who fucked up um yeah because of course like of course yeah, it would it have been be his fault yeah <laughs> um yeah so yeah exactly it, it sort of makes the whole thing feel very believable um the bit where um uh sorry the bit where hannibal um actually sort of like puts on the face of the other yeah uh police officer to go like get taken in the ambulance i managed like I managed to piece together just as they were opening that part on the elevator. It was like, oh, fuck, that's the police officer. And that, the, the other thing's Hannibal. Like, yeah. And then he sits fun. up in the ambulance and peels off the face. Another iconic shot. It's a shot. great moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus, fuck. Um, great movie. I I mean, hopefully you can see now why it's such a classic, Elliot. Yeah, yeah, I can. Like, it, it yeah, it's aged very well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how many lambs out of ten? <laughs> actually, yeah, actually, quickly, let's talk about that because, like, that was something I was waiting for the lambs to come up. And, like, I think the great thing about this movie is the the silence of the lambs is never said. No, yes, it, I, it's always the screams of the lambs. So, yeah, part of um part of Clarice's uh, backstory is that she ran away from a farm she was growing up on as a kid because she sort of caught the back end of a lamb slaughter mm. and she could hear like all the screams of the lambs yes which apparently sound of, remarkably like human child screams just as yeah, a fun which fact I, yeah I, I can't speak to that but i know like mountain lions kind of sound a lot like humans so mm-hmm. it makes sense anyway um yeah so she she's been kind of running from this screaming of the lambs her whole life and hannibal sets up this sort of analysis of her where he says she wanted to get into law enforcement and stop serial killers so that she could stop the screaming of the lambs. Yeah. And one of the last things he says to her on the phone is, I hope those lambs have stopped screaming, Clarice, which is a great mm-hmm. uh, sign off as well as just, uh, yeah, being like, I, I, you know, it's an indirect way to reference the name of the movie. Well, in, apparently in the book, the final line is like, Clarice slept in the silence of the lambs or something. And so I'm glad I they like that. took that out. <laughs> <laughs> i'm kind of like that's a that's too on the nose yeah. you can't have it be the last line yeah it's a bit too much um but yeah i think it i actually think it works really well as a like it makes you think a bit about what the title means and then when you kind of get yeah. that you know two-thirds of the way through you're like oh okay it's like a cool um, little yeah bit. i think the other thing is i've always seen uh, uh, the face with a moth on the mouth like for years on the posters of this movie and I right. always wondered how that fits in. Um, so it was nice to sort of learn that. It's one of Buffalo Bill's weird calling cards is he's got some He's just moth obsessed obsession. with moths because they're they represent transformation to him, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. He's but he's like imported this rare breed, which is like pretty high level moth play. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. 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 Um anyway, so I guess sorry, going back to your earlier question, how yeah, many how lambs, many lambs out, out of ten? Yeah. Um, and are they uh, silent or screaming? I'm going to go for eight out of ten. Oh, sorry, eight and a half out of ten applauding lambs. Well, mm, is the half lamb applauding? 
<laughs> it's doing like you know that thing where you just clap with one hand right because it only has one front well, hand. yeah one hoof i should say is it yeah which way is it divided <laughs> down the middle or eight and a half bleating lamps there we go perfect <laughs> um eight and a half bleating lamps all right good score good score um let's talk about what we're, what we're going to be talking about next fortnight and actually we've got a very special guest here it's scott daly oh i'm back again with some 90s movies that you should have seen. <laughs> That's Wait. your brand on this podcast. <laughs> Wait, the last one was a 70s movie. So with some American classics that you should have yeah. seen. Yeah, classic Americana, I think, yes. is the linking thread. That That is accurate, yeah. Yes. Uh, we should also say uh, Matt Freeman was going to be here as well, but there was a bit of a kerfuffle on our end, uh, rearranging the recording session last minute, mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately Matt couldn't make it. So he'll be here in two weeks, but... um. For now, Scott's going to uh, hold down the fort by himself. Yeah. 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 We, we got two movies that we're going to make y'all watch. So we that we needed there to be two of us to argue That's for the these rules. Movies. One person, one one person per piece of media. That's always yes. how it's worked on this show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what is it? Let's stop talking around it. Scott, what are you bringing us? So we are making you guys watch the 80s slash 90s action time travel movies, Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I think actually originally Matt wanted to bring you guys just Terminator 2, but you said that you hadn't seen the first one. <laughs> and and while like I don't know if you 100% had to have... Um, I think it will make the experience better to watch both of them. So we just said, fine, you get to watch both of these movies. And fortunately, those are the only two movies in the Terminator franchise. And then you can be done with the entire franchise. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of them kind of 80s franchises where it's really overstated. It's welcome to it. And about like four times, I guess. I mean, we talked about about Alien on this show and that's the exact same thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting that like, I think, and we'll talk about this when we, when you guys actually see the movies, but I think Terminator 2 is like the perfect encapsulation of this idea, and then they just should have been done with it. Like, they did everything you could possibly do with this idea in Terminator 2, and then they should have just been, all right, we did it, let's and, be done. And both of the first two are James Cameron, right? Correct, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Right, yeah. cool. I think this is going to be really interesting as well because, I mean, we have to talk about the giant Arnold Schwarzenegger in the room um, because, like, Terminator came out in 1984 and Terminator 2 came out in 1991. And between those two movies, Mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger became, like, the biggest thing ever. And I think that's one thing that you're going to – I think a lot because of Terminator 1. And I think that's one thing you're going to see very clearly when you watch these movies kind of back-to-back, how – the the industry changed around Arnold Schwarzenegger and how the movie kind of morphs around his stardom um, in the sec in the sequel and I think that's yeah. gonna be really interesting to to talk about. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in this idea to talk about after we've seen the movies, obviously, but kind of reminds me of of uh, potentially what might have happened with the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, where mm-hmm. Johnny mm-hmm. Depp was a character in it. And then as those movies went on and he kind of became so integral to them, they just became the Johnny Depp show. Um, sure, I, sure. I'm, I wonder whether that thread is going to persist through Terminator. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference, at least in Terminator 2, is that that, that choice was a good one. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and it made a better movie. Um, whereas in Pirates, it, it did not. It definitely mm. did not. So, um, of course, we'll see if you agree with that in, in a couple of weeks. But... 
yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to love in these movies. I think like they're both, I mean, Terminator 2 is 1991, so that's, we're, we're into the 90s by then, but they're both very 80s in their look and their feel and like the type of action movies that were being made in the 80s. Um, I think the score is really great in both of these movies. I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. Um, that I mean, that's what they are. They're just a lot of fun. It's just using time travel as like a backdrop for some some fun action stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, I mean, this is always the case when you come on the show, Scott, you bring (laughs) a movie that we haven't seen that's kind of like, it's going to be fun to examine this movie from the perspective of, you know, I know, hasta la vista, baby, and I'll be back, and he rides a motorcycle and he gives a thumbs up, and that's basically all I know about the Terminator franchise, so I'm excited to see what it is besides the, you know, the memes that have persisted. I think it's going to be interesting, like, I just obviously watched Silence of the Lambs, which again was a film like I sort of thought I knew about because of pop culture, even though I hadn't seen it. Um, and I, I feel very similarly about Terminator, Terminators one and two. Like I, I, I understand a bunch of plots, plot points just through existing. Um, so it'll be, <laughs> it'll be interesting to compare what my image of it is to what it actually is as we step mm. into it. Um, yeah, and I mean part of that image is coming from I have seen Terminator. Genesis the Sam Worthington one from like 2010 ish Um, I didn't enjoy it but I was told that that's a normal experience for the fans of the franchise so the the media viewing choices you make Elliot (laughs) astound me sometimes you just got to start with the you know the Rocky Fours or the Terminator Genesis or the Alien Prometheuses and that's where you enter the franchise I, I guess starting with Prometheus and Terminator Genesis just more had to do with like living with a bunch of people <laughs> who were going to the movies and and just joining them, being like, yeah, okay, I'll come and see. A yeah, I'll go see film. Terminator Four. <laughs> <Why not? laughs> so, so just just out of curiosity, what do you think Judgment Day means? The the subtitle of the the second movie. What do you think it means in the context of robots and time travel? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, yeah, assuming, do you want to take this one? <laughs> I'm assuming like an apocalypse, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm associating Judgment Day with like, you know, the the, the revelations, yeah, Christian exactly. apocalypse type stuff. Biblical apoc- apocalypse. Um, okay. Since I, I do know that the movie involves robots from the future, I'm going to assume, is it Rosso's Basilisk? Rollo's Basilisk? That old thing where it's like the robots come back from the future to, um, I don't know take over and instill like some sort of robot based paradigm where they, they take I have control. no idea what you're talking I, about. I, but... I honestly don't know what you're talking about. I, I... But it sounds like it could be the plot to a Terminator movie, so I'm going to say it's probably correct. <laughs> Rosso's Basilisk is like the thing where it's like you've got to be oh, it's Rocco's basilisk like Rocco's. oh mom. yes oh, well sorry. now i know it yeah of course <laughs> no, it's the thing where if you don't actively take steps to help ai take over then you're gonna get punished when they do take over is that what you're yeah. talking about yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so like i i don't know i'm just i'm just drawing dots between time traveling robots and that that old thing mm. so maybe something like the robots come back and they have like you know, their own views on how humans should live their lives and they implement some sort of totalitarian regime. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you're right or wrong, but it is interesting that the name of the Terminator is actually Rocco. Um, so. <laughs> is it? 
<laughs> no. Oh my god, Scott. <laughs> Whoa. That would have been so cool. I'm, I'm, assuming... glad, I'm glad it's not because I can't not think of like Rocco's Modern Life. Rocco's Modern Life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I almost know, I just think... sang the song, just saying that right then. So. <laughs> yeah, mm. I don't know if I would have been able to take uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger seriously as a giant robot if his name was Rocco. <laughs> <sighs> um, I'm assuming that the plot of Judgment Day is like that episode of Futurama where the robots rise up and then they're like, oh, but these ro- these humans were nice to us robots, so let's not kill them. I'm assuming it's that's basically the plot. Okay, okay. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll find out next time on Media MD. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Scott, for bringing us the Terminator films. Here's a fun fact I learned, actually, uh, connecting Science of the Lambs and, and the Terminator films, which is that Science of the Lambs won, like, five Oscars uh, when it when it came out, and it was also nominated for two more that it didn't win, which were Best Editing and Best Sound Design. And in Best Sound Design, it was up against... Terminator 2, which ended up taking home the Oscar. So that's a little fun fact. Nice. Anyway, that's the end of our show for today. (laughs) Uh, So if you want to leave us your thoughts on Science of the Lambs or on the Terminator films, why don't you tweet at us? You can find us at MediaMDPodcast on Twitter. Uh, Yes, you can also find us uh, on the Doof Discord, uh, which you can get access to if you're a patron at patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Yep. If you only listen to MediaMD, I very much encourage you to see what the rest of Doof has to offer. Uh, maybe you want to get into this this worm thing that you might have heard mentioned in the Doofosphere before. Mm-hmm. It comes up every now and then. Uh, uh, Matthias and Clarence have just launched a podcast looking into worm called Decomposing Worm, and I highly recommend it. I'm learning a lot from listening to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a great show. Um, you can find all of the links to the things we mentioned, our Twitter, the Patreon, all the other shows on the Doof Media Network on the website, which is doofmedia.com. Also on the website, you can help us figure, uh, you can help us solve the, uh, the Media MD ARG, help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why is his census taker's liver so delicious? Elliot, <laughs> do you want to give the listeners this fortnight's clue? Uh, thumb pad. Thumb pad. And we'll see you next fortnight. <laughs>